Hi, this is Dan Mendes from NextGen Venture Partners coming off of a great conversation with Randy Altshuler. Randy is a venture partner with NextGen and a serial entrepreneur. Uh, his first two companies uh, had uh, very significant outcomes, uh, and he's a few years into his third com company, Zometry, where he's the founder and CEO. Uh, Zometry is raised from Highland Capital, GE Ventures, BMW Ventures, a number of high-profile uh, early-stage investors. And this is a conversation uh, for folks who want to hear the story of a really successful serial entrepreneur and want to get some really great lessons um, from someone who's uh, been there a few times, um, done that, knows what he's talking about. Uh, and I think there's some um, uh, really interesting nuggets here uh, for entrepreneurs of all stripes. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Randy Altshuler, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. So you are a three-time entrepreneur now, but I want to go back to the beginning of that entrepreneur uh, journey as, as we begin. So you're uh, at Blackstone. You graduated from HBS a couple years before. What led you to take that leap into the entrepreneurship world? You know, it's interesting you ask because I was not – there were some entrepreneurs, I think, from a very early age. They had the lemonade stand. Uh, they came up with a business in, in high school or in college. They were – running some sort of student agency and, and we're doing something on the side. And I was actually never that, that person. Um, but I, as I got older and, um, you know, I think you begin to make life choices. And particularly when I was working at Blackstone and I had been in, in investment banking before that, uh, you're running down a path of finance and where, uh, you know, I call it the, the business of money and, 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 uh, I kind of decided, hey, you know, what was more exciting to me was building businesses from scratch, sort of creating something, even if at the end of the day it wasn't going to be the same payoff. And, and it's a crapshoot when you're an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's, you got to do it for the love of it, the same way that some people do the love of, of banking or, or private equity, but you have to love creating something. And, and uh, I just decided that was, for me, more fulfilling um, and something that even if it wasn't, didn't make a lot of money. Uh, that that would just be really rewarding. And so I made a, a decision mentally at some point that, hey, that's what's more attractive. And particularly at Blackstone, we were funding companies um, where I could see up close what entrepreneurs have been doing, what founders have been doing, and just thought that was so neat. Those are the guys, the men and women I wanted to emulate, not necessarily the other bankers or other PE guys, but those folks. And, and that set me down the path of let, let's become an entrepreneur. So how did you go from I want to be an entrepreneur to actually having an idea, having a team? You know, where did the spark for uh, for the what actually what actually became Office Tiger come from? Yeah, so you know, again, I, there are some entrepreneurs who have this magic idea, and and the light bulb goes off. And I was not one of those people. I kind of worked my way into. It. I sort of made that decision. I'm going to be an entrepreneur, and it excites me. And then it was like, okay, what idea can I do? And so I had a, a partner, a guy named Joe Siegelman. And Joe and I batted around lots of different ideas. And they were completely all over the map. Uh, air freight business in South America, a home, a home maintenance business. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine. And we'd sort of go through the list and say, eh, no, no. Owning apartment buildings in New Jersey, uh-uh. And then Joe. that in the, uh, my finance days in New York and didn't always work out. Right. And, they, and you know, in fact, we had this uh, – I don't know if you remember Seinfeld, where there's a Seinfeld episode where uh, Seinfeld is going to write a TV program for NBC. And so there's him and George are partners, and Elaine walks in, and they're both sleeping. 
you know, at a day of work of writing. And, and I remember my wife would walk in the apartment and there would be me and Joe and we'd basically be conked out, uh, having gotten nothing done or just batted around a couple ideas because it's, it's tough. Uh, but then just one day, uh, you know, we began to think about how inefficient uh, Blackstone and, and Joe was a goal when how they were handling the back office. And at that time when we started Office Tiger, there was a labor shortage in the United States. So getting people to do uh, word processing and document processing and some of these uh, back office functions, there just wasn't enough folks to do it. So the banks and uh, other financial services firms were getting kind of desperate and they were, they were beginning to move to other locations to provide that service. And we thought, well, hey, and actually it was Joe who said, hey, I've been to India, there are these really smart people there Maybe we can use the internet and we can use telephony and instead of having the person down the hallway or a different floor or across the river in New Jersey, it could be all the way in another country. And that, and that, was, that was the first idea that we really thought through that I said, hey, this really could make sense and, and that's how Office Tiger was born. Uh, so uh, you spent a, uh, a number of years building Office Tiger. Um, yeah. So uh, where did it end up and how did you decide to um – you know, uh, 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 to sell it. Yeah. So we started in 2000 and in 2006, we eventually sold it. And, uh, you know, it was literally just the two of us who started it. Joe packed it, went off to India and I stayed in New York, which, which became our headquarters. And, uh, you know, over those years we started hiring people. I'd never managed people before. I never really hired anybody before. I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about HR. I mean, all these different things were mysteries and it is one of the exciting things about being an entrepreneur. I mean, it's scary because you have no idea what you're doing, but it's it's neat. And you, and you kind of realize as you start building a company how important these things are. I mean, you always heard about company culture, and I was like, ah, culture, that doesn't matter. You know, just go, go, go. But then when you start adding people to your team, you realize culture is to a certain extent everything. Because without a great culture, you can't scale the business. You can't make sure that everybody's really adding value. You can't get people excited. You can't excel. So uh, you learn that along the way. And uh, it was a wild journey starting from the two of us to ultimately, I think almost 4,000 or over 4,000 people um, spread all around the world. So we weren't, we were in India, we were in Sri Lanka, we were in the Philippines, we were in Salt Lake City, we were in Atlanta, we were in New York, we're all across the world, we were in Europe. Um, And eventually we got to a scale with so many employees that we thought, you know, our first priority was to make sure that Office Tiger uh, was a successful company, that we did great for our customers, and we did well for our employees. And at that point, I think we thought with the scale that we were growing, having a corporate partner was the best, best outcome. And so R.R. Uh, Donnelly had been one of our larger customers, and they were very excited about getting into what was called the business process outsourcing business, BPO business. So uh, they started talking with us and were interested in acquiring us. And we really liked them. They embraced what we were doing. They were going to be really good for our employees and really good for our customers, and it just made a lot of sense. And so they acquired us uh, in 2006. So uh, you now uh, do a reasonable amount of investing in startups after having a couple of these successes under your belt. As you describe the founding of Office Tiger, sort of my venture capital instincts are sort of are you know re- repelling against this, right? A couple of finance guys who don't know anything about <laughs> uh, the business they're getting into, um, you know, uh, who've never managed people before. It's it's you know the story of what not to do almost. So uh, <laughs> I'm curious if if you agree or disagree. How do how do you view those? Kinds of opportunities now with uh, with your investor hat on. 
So, uh, you know, it's funny you say that because my advice to any entrepreneur is to do what you know because that's where you're going to have the best opportunity. So you've spent your career in, in uh, you know, the restaurant business, start a, an, a startup that involving the restaurant business or if it's in cyber, if you're a security guy, do it in cybersecurity. And my three businesses from Office Tiger, which was back office services to Cloud Blue, which was electronics recycling, to Zometry, which is a, a technology manufacturing platform, are wildly different. And as a German literature major in college, I don't know. I had no background in any of them. So uh, I would say, though, my advice to entrepreneurs and when I invest is know, do what you know because and do what you're excited about. Knowing is important, too, but what really gets you excited about. Um, so I, I do think domain expertise, despite my own background, uh, and I hope my my investors don't mind me saying this, but despite my own background, I think uh, I think going with people who know or focus on what they know is always best. You're you're just going to be more successful. You know the ins and outs. You you can find the secret sauce. Uh, stick with that. Well, I'm I'm with you on the advice that you give a hundred percent. Whether or not that that tracks your your history, uh, but you've been uh, been successful. Um, um, either way, so uh, you you sell Office Tiger, and I think pretty shortly thereafter start Cloud Blue. To, uh, talk about that story. Sure. So uh, I spent one year at Donnelly, our Donnelly uh, managing our business. Uh, Donnelly had acquired a similar business that was based in the UK, so I had responsibilities uh, for parts of both businesses together. So large team all around the world, um, but at some point. You know, Donnelly decided to reorganize a little bit about uh, where those divisions sat within the Donnelly wider family. Um, so they did that, and I got the the entrepreneur um, the bug again. And you know, once you you start a company, uh, being in corporate America, it's a, it's a different it's a different experience, and uh, and that yearning to be back and be my own boss and and be an entrepreneur really came calling. So um, I teamed up with one of the people I'd worked with at Office Tiger, a guy named Ken Byer. And we got really excited about the electronics recycling space. So um, as everybody knows, there's more and more electronic gear. Life cycles for electronic equipment are getting shorter and shorter. So companies have more electronic uh, garbage to get rid of. And they're much more concerned about how they get rid of it for, for really two reasons. One is for environmental concerns. They don't want to dump this stuff in rivers and, and in landfill and, and poison our earth. Uh, and the second thing is for data security. So uh, all of these devices, and even more so, are carrying information about you, about your customers, about your company. And uh, our customers were concerned that that data was accessible when they were disposing of it and wasn't being disposed of properly. So uh, we created Cloud Blue, and Cloud Blue was, and still today, is focused on helping larger companies manage uh, their disposal of IT equipment. Again, making sure that it's disposed of in the most environmentally responsible way and also making sure that the chain of custody is maintained, the data, so at any point a company knows that when they've thrown something away, their data isn't at risk. Um, so we started that company in uh, the beginning of 2008. I'm guessing that uh, that starting that company was easier. You knew more. You, you had you had some experience under your belt. What were the biggest advantages of having done it once when you uh, went out that second time? So, uh, so you hit it, you know the, the nail on the head. So a lot of this stuff I already knew out of the gate. Like I knew uh, everything from you know how to sign up for ADP, 
and the importance of getting a good controller on board right away. Um, I knew about how you got a front end to a certain extent. Stales are important. So I knew, I knew a lot of places to start. Uh, I think I was a certainly a more mature manager. After having spent time managing so many people, I, I think I was better at doing that. And that's the skill of managing people is a tough one. And uh, I think experience helps with that. I think I was a better leader, not just a better manager, but a better leader too. Uh, you also get more relaxed. So when it's a startup, every day has got lots of highs and lows. And you learn as a leader that the company, particularly as a founder, the company reflects your mood. So if you have a bad day, everybody's going to have a bad day. You're having a good day? Everybody's going to have a good day. So as a second-time entrepreneur, I knew, you know what? Even if I'm having a bad day, maybe I could share that with my wife. I could share it with my business partner, Ken. But I better not share it with everybody else or wear it on my sleeve because that's just going to drag everybody down. So that maturity, I, I think, helped a lot too. Um, and you're also able to attract right out of the gate uh, some really more impressive people than you could initially because initially nobody knows who you are. That's a big risk. People have families to take care of, and they want to go to this company managed by some some guy who doesn't know what he's doing. The second time around, like, hey, he's got some track record. This is more interesting for me. Uh, but all that said, Dan, I still made many of the same mistakes I made the first time around, which is incredibly frustrating. And a lot of times I go, oh, my goodness, haven't I learned this? But uh, sometimes it takes two or now my third time, even three times to make those mistakes. What are some of the mistakes that stand out that you uh, made twice or perhaps even three times? So look, it's the same thing you hear from a lot of people, but it's true. You, you don't, you rush things. So some things you can rush because it's, you got to move quickly, but other times you set artificial deadlines, which are stupid. And, uh, that's going to lead to, you know, particularly now in the software, when my company is very software focused and development focused, if you rush something, you're going to have, uh, lots of bugs. So put the obvious stuff, it's going to just be buggy. Uh, the second thing is that the uh, solution itself, the product itself, may not be as good as it should have been. And now you spend all this time pushing that out really quick. Customers don't love it. Your team doesn't love it. And to rework that, well, that's you've added a lot more time. So you're better off going a little slower and getting it right the first time than, than pushing it too fast. Um, so I think that's one of the important lessons. Uh, sales. Uh, never forget sales are really critical. So uh, I always try to front load as much as I can the business development side of things, even if you're developing a product that's not ready. But that I don't think you could ever be having the head of sales or upfront with you in the beginning is really good because he or she then can have a lot of influences to develop your product and give you insight that, that you, you, you need. It, it's going to be if the customer doesn't want what you're selling, then it's not useful. The sooner you can figure out what your customer wants and salespeople can help you do that, the better you are. So let's turn to your current company, Zometry. Uh, what are you guys doing? So we have created a marketplace for people to purchase custom manufacturing. And so in the United States, our market is over $60 billion. And it's everything from 3D printing, a lot of people hear about, to uh, urethane casting, to sheet metal, to CNC parts. Uh, and these are things that are today, there are tens of thousands of manufacturers across the United States. 190,000 of them have less than 20 employees that are manufacturing these billions of goods. But, but the acquisition of that by customers is really clunky. It's slow, it's manual, it's done via email or phone calls or faxes. 
buying just a couple thousand dollars worth of parts can take days or weeks. Uh, it's really trailed behind the experience that you get with regular online purchasing today. Uh, and also, it's very hard for a customer to find the best solution because there's lots of different ways to manufacture the same part. One way may be faster, one may be cheaper, lots of different variants on it. With the Zometry platform, the customer is able to get the best way to manufacture something, get an instant price, and get an instant time, uh, instant committed lead time, and press go, and effectively has access to unlimited capacity. And to make that happen, we're harvesting the manufacturing power, the billions of dollars that these thousands of machine shops across the United States have invested in. And we're giving them work that they never would find. So we've got a, a machine shop in North Dakota that's had the same 12 customers or you know 20 customers for most of its lifetime. And let's say that the particular local industry, those customers aren't doing well and they've got lots of open capacity. They're really good at what they're doing, but they don't have a sales and marketing team. They're a, half a, they're a dozen people. So they don't know that there's a customer in Maryland, a defense contractor or an aerospace company in California or a medical device company in Boston that could use their capacity, use their skills. Our platform brings them together. So I can see a lot of reasons why you might want uh, have wanted to start that company, whether it's the excitement of 3D printing as a new industry, whether it's the uh, ability to uh, bring new customers and growth to that, you know, that shop in North Dakota. What was it that motivated you? Manufacturing is so important to the American economy, like it is to every country's economy. And the idea that we can actually make things. I mean, the service industry is great and obviously has an important role in our economy, but the ability for us right here in this country to make things, that's, that's both really exciting and interesting, but it's really important too. And uh, I get, I think all of us, so we've got, um, you know, a, a large team of 40 engineers, software engineers. I think the fact that they're building code, they're building a platform, using machine learning to help people make actual parts, things that are in planes and spaceships and, and in people's bodies and industrial applications. Uh, I think that's really, that's exciting and it's important it, 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 and it's real. Um, and uh, what's been really exciting for me at Zometry is to get to work with so many people who are so good with their hands, people who, who are fascinated by creating things by manufacturing things, how things work, mechanical things. That's a really important skill set that we got to make sure that we don't lose in this country and say that's true in every country. I think one of the cha one of the challenges of entrepreneurship at least for a lot of people is that it requires so much of you. It requires so much of your time. It also requires so much of your mental energy. And yeah. I'm curious having had a couple of successes under your belt, having had some financial success, having a family, uh, you know, what's the discussion like or what's the thinking like when you say, all right, I'm going to do this a third time. I'm going to do it because I'm passionate and because I love this opportunity. But, you know, for at least most entrepreneurs, it occupies so much of you. Um, you know, how do you, how do you uh, balance those factors? Well, first of all, I don't know a lot of one-time entrepreneurs. In other words, I think you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. That doesn't mean you can't come to it later in life. But I think once you've been an entrepreneur, I think it's very hard to turn that back and now just, you know, oh, I, I you know, People always would say to me after we sold Office Tiger, they're like, well, you probably made a bunch of money. Why don't you just retire and, and do nothing? I'm not built that way. I don't know entrepreneurs who are built that way. They want to go out and do something else. Uh, you just you get really excited about it. You, that's the thrill of what you do. So, uh, you know, for me, it was very important 
with my spouse, with my wife, we've been together for a long, long time, married now over 19 years, that when we got married, I wanted her to know what kind of person I was. And I was not going to be a nine to five person. I was going to be somebody who loves my family and spends as much time as I can with it, but somebody who's going to be very passionate about their work and who uh, was going to take it personally because it was going to be potentially my company or, or my thing. So I think you have to make sure that your family is in sync with what you're doing because if you don't have a happy family life, I think this is, this particularly being an entrepreneur, it can be a disaster. Uh, so having a supportive spouse is really, or significant other is really important. And that's what gives me the ability to go out and start a third company and for my wife not to look at me and say, you're, you know, you're insane. Uh, and I like to share it with my kids. I have three children, uh, and they're into it. You know, if it's wearing our t-shirt or if it's coming by the office, I love it when people bring their, their kids by and their families by and, and it's all of our employee, all of our, our company, you know, all of our employees have options and geometry. Uh, so it's our company. It's not Randy's company. It's not, you know, GE and Highland who are two of our investors companies, all of our company. People feel that I want, I want their family to get excited about it. And, um, for me, that's really important that my family is bought into it. Randy, I think we'll leave it there. Really appreciate you taking some time today. Dan, thank you so much. Great to speak with you.